This is the Edge of Innovation, Hacking the Future of Business. I'm your host, Paul Parisi. And I'm Jacob Young. On the Edge of Innovation, we talk about the intersection between technology and business, what's going on in technology, and what's possible for business. Well, we're talking with Adriel Desotels from Netregard. We've talked with him once in the past, and he's a great resource for technology and security, and we're going to talk about that a little bit. Let's, from your experience and from your experience and knowledge of other people you know, why does the hacker hack? It all depends on who they are and what their really, I guess, geographic location is, monetary position. So the majority of bad guys that are hacking right now hack for financial gain, right? Mm -hmm. They steal information, and they're able to sell it on the black market. Some information sells for more than others, and that is always changing. Then, of course, you have nation states. They're hacking because they want to know about their foe. They want to learn about about their enemy. And then you have the guys that hack on behalf of their country, but they're not directly affiliated with the country. They go out and they steal information. The Chinese are notorious for this. They have groups of people that will hack and steal information about aircraft and all kinds of interesting things, and then they sell it to the next highest bidder within their country. And so that's sort of a way of China saying, hey, we don't do this stuff, but they buy the information. Mm -hmm. So they're not hacking, but they're funding it by buying the information. Let's peel that back layer, though. So that's sort of a, maybe a superficial view, but why does the person sit down and spend that time searching for these obscure ways to exploit systems that drives that emotion because they're not necessarily going to get paid. So I'm I'm not not saying they're evil. I'm not saying they're bad. But why is it that I'm going to try and do everything I can to break into this house and I'm not going to give up either. Right. So for some of us, it's just a puzzle. It's a challenge and it's fun. It just boils down to that. You know, why, why is my partner Philippe, why is he building a robot to take his trash and haul it down his driveway that's a quarter mile long. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's literally doing that, and he's found a way to build this crazy robot that'll take his trash out for him. He's doing it because it's fun, and it's a challenge, and it's exciting. It's the same reason why we do a lot of the things that, that we end up doing, too. The other angle to that is notoriety. Sometimes hackers will hack something because they're trying to make a name for themselves, and so they'll perform research against a really challenging target, write up you know, a white paper or publish something on it, and that makes the press. And mm-hmm. all of a sudden, those hackers are they're well-known. I mean, I can think of, of some pretty good hacks that happen with regards to DNS and other types of things that, that really help companies promote themselves. Sure. So there's that kind of angle. And then you tie back into the monetary angle. When you get into the zero-day market and zero-day exploitation, hackers will perform research against, like your iPhone, for example. They find a single vulnerability on an iPhone today that sells for anywhere from 4 to $6 million per vulnerability. Hmm. So the motivation there is a lot of money for a single, you know, maybe three months of work you make six million dollars sure it's not a bad payday (laughs) so it sounds it sounds sort of like panning for gold yeah in some cases it really can be because you never know what you're going to encounter and if you get the big nuggets you're very rich very quickly and it could be that the gold that you get is notoriety it could be just the fun of doing it or it could be that you get a big chunk of gold interesting so i agree i mean it is interesting to see and it would be interesting to have the same conversations with executive ceo levels of saying why wouldn't you disclose this and and i can imagine it's like well we don't want to admit that we knew the bridge was going to fall down right if they were being really honest and it's like what i don't know won't i can't be held accountable for there's a lot of that i think so we were we were talking about black hat and defcon and what else did you see there? I heard a lot in the press because I was listening for it, but yeah. you know our listeners are pretty diverse. What's new? What's interesting? It's, Not much. Is it Not... like all old news already, or is it just... The, yeah, the, the majority of 
I remember we were actually staying at Caesar's Palace so we could watch the talks from our rooms for mm-hmm. DEFCON. And we were watching the talks and some of them sounded very exciting. We thought there were new methods of doing things. I'd say just about every single time when we got excited, we were very disappointed because the methods that people were talking about were methods that we'd already known about for years, you know, that had been in use for years. These, unfortunately, DEFCON and, and Black Hat, I think they've outgrown themselves in much the same way that, that, yeah, in much the same way that the, you know, the RSA conference has and things like that. They've become very politicized and they, they've got these vendor booths where vendors are spending a lot of money to advertise their product. It's not really all that appealing anymore to hackers that are strictly interested in learning about hacking. They are still the biggest hacking conferences and hackers will still go there. I mean, we were hanging out with Kevin Mitnick and a bunch of other people when we were out there, but those people go because it gives you the option to meet other people that mm-hmm. are going. So when we went there, we ended up meeting with a lot of our friends and these guys are really hardcore researchers and hardcore, you know, the hardcore security people. And we also met some of our clients and things like that. So it's a good team building exercise. Okay. From the perspective of learning something new though, unless you're talking to somebody or you know people that are going to be doing new research, probably not going to pick it up at Black Hat. Right. So is there, yeah. is there something else out there, Blacker Hat or DefferCon? <laughs> something that's a little better? Be. DerbyCon is a little bit better. DerbyCon. Um, yeah, DerbyCon. It's a little bit better. A lot of the people that we associate with will go to DerbyCon. They're growing in size too, but their content seems to be more aggressive and more, I guess you could say new, newer than okay. you know what you're seeing at those. And then of course there's B-Sides, which unfortunately I've never been to, and I always intend to, but I never make it. B-Sides, from what I've heard, has a pretty good reputation for being a fairly serious con. A lot of the higher end people, and when I say higher end, they mean more capable researchers, more experienced researchers that I know have talked about going to both DerbyCon and B-Sides. Interesting. Yeah, and they seem to really like those. And then there are, you know, you have, you have your obscure conventions in Europe and things like that. I know that some of my researchers go to those, and some are really good, some are not. Mm-hmm. It's a lot different than it was in the 90s and early 2000s. In the 90s and early 2000s, hackers were driven by curiosity and driven by research, and they met up with each other because they had something to share and something to discuss and so on and so forth. These days, it's become so mainstream that you literally have groupies. I mean, you have people that show right. up in bizarre clothes with purple hair and kinds of things, and they're trying to show up and trying to fit in just because they think it's cool, but they have nothing to offer. I see. And that kind of distills things, and that kind of makes things less interesting. When I went to DEF CON, just this past DEF CON, I remember walking through these crowds of people, and I'm looking at these people, and I'm thinking, wow, the majority of these people are probably people working in IT or in security for corporate America. Mm-hmm. Very few of these people are actually hackers. And it's, it's unfortunately true. Very few of them were, were really the kinds of people that would be the researcher, the, the, right. the curiosity-driven kind of person. It's not to say that the conferences are useless because people do get a wealth of benefit from them, especially with regard to the training and the courses, and especially for businesses, IT people, IT personnel and security personnel will learn a lot about the new technologies, the way hackers think, and so on and so forth, and they'll get to meet people that really are the real deal. So it's, it's much more useful, I think, if you're going for business purposes now, as opposed to if you're a hacker trying to share knowledge and learn new things and so on, unless, of course, you're networking. So do you have any recommended websites or places that you frequent that give valuable, cutting-edge 
hacker information? There used to be. Now, the majority of the information I get is going to be from Reddit and Twitter. And there are interesting posts that happen once in a while and conversations that happen once in a while if you follow the right people. You can follow places like PacStorm and the Hacker News and all that stuff, but they tend to not really provide anything that would be underground, as they would say. IRC still exists, but it doesn't really live in the same capacity that it did before. I mean, back in the day, you could hang out on IRC and you could get all kinds of really inter interesting information about who was being breached and so on and so forth. But now it's not really working that way. Now what we actually see a lot of is we see different hacking groups. They have their own Silk servers or IRC servers or their own Slack setups or whatever it might be. And they kind of chat in a closed group like Back in the day, you could walk into IRC and if you do a list search for the word hacking, you'd have thousands of hacking channels, you know, and you had people that were doing all kinds of interesting things and you could engage people in private conversations and private messages and really learn interesting stuff. And it's not quite the same anymore. It's all been, I guess, distilled or contaminated at some level or another. Right. And the way that we stay sharp is literally, <laughs> we all have Twitter accounts and we pay attention to what people talk about. People know us, the reputation. And so people who are doing really neat work approach us and they say, hey, let's talk about this. We need some help in this area. Then we learn about something. So we end up we end up staying in the loop because we're approached just because of our name, brand, and our, our names as individuals. You know, mm -hmm. people want us to be involved in that stuff. You know, unless you've established that kind of credibility and unless you, you already have this networking capability, I couldn't really point you in any direction for anything that would be particularly eye-opening aside from pay attention to the new vulnerabilities that are released, pay attention to the names of the researchers associated with those vulnerabilities, follow them on Twitter. <laughs> if somebody woke up and said, hey, I want to be a hacker, 10-year-old kid says, I want to grow up to be a hacker, it's not like it used to be. No, you, no. You sort of can't get that initial set of information. So what would your advice be to the buddy so, hacker? Yeah, so anybody that tells me that they want to be a hacker they're probably never going to be a hacker. Mm -hmm. <laughs> if you want to be a hacker, it's because you, you almost already are. You're born with this you know, innate sense of curiosity. You're born with this drive, this hunger to learn and tear things apart and solve problems and fix things, and you just love it. And because you love it, it doesn't matter what you do in life. You're always hacking something. Sure. You could be building the trash robot like Philippe because that just seems like a fun idea. Or right. maybe like Kevin Finisterra, you're out and you're building drones, then finding out ways to knock them out of the sky because you're curious. Right. Or you've got some of my researchers that do research on iPhones and all that, and they do it because they think, wow, there's got to be a way to bypass this, even though Apple says we can't. Let's do it. Mm -hmm. You know, and so it's a curiosity thing. So anybody who comes to me and says, hey, how do I become a hacker? My answer is, you don't. You either do this stuff you natively. Are or you're not. You, right. You have that drive and you fix things in obscure ways. Really, a definition of hacking is creating an, an effective and a simple solution to a really complex problem. And so if you are a solution creator and if you are able to take a problem of some sort, and the word problem is defined very loosely, and you were able to solve that challenge using a creative and effective and, and fairly easy to use solution, then you're a hacker. And I would argue that there are a lot of hackers that don't know they're hackers. I mean, look at these guys that live on, you know, off the land in Alaska. Uh -huh. <laughs> they have no technology to speak of, but some of the things they put together to get water and to hunt and to trap and to, you know, they're ingenious. They're hacking. They have a problem. They're creating an incredible solution to a problem. And a lot of times that solution gets used by other people in the same community. So that's really what the essence of hacking is. So yeah, you're born with it. You've got that talent, that gift, or, or you don't. <laughs> so I guess in the venerable words of Yoda, there is no try, just do. Right.
Well, all of the show notes will have all the links and everything we've talked about today. And I want to thank Adriel Desotels from Netregard. Really appreciate you coming on and look forward to doing it again soon. Sure. It's my pleasure, Paul. Thank you. All right. Thank you. The Edge of Innovation is brought to you in partnership with Savior Labs. Savior Labs exists to help businesses mature and strategize for the future. Learn more about Savior Labs at SaviorLabs.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Edge of Innovation, Hacking the Future of Business. For the show notes and more information about Paul, please visit paulparisi.com. The Edge of Innovation is produced by Jacob Young in conjunction with copious amounts of coffee. Music on today's episode was from bensound.com. Paul can be found on Twitter at pdparisi and on LinkedIn at linkedin.com slash pdparisi. This episode, like all our episodes, is transcribed and available at paulparisi.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.